0: Welcome to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles, a podcast dedicated to the unique challenges and joys of parenting medically complex kids. Each week we'll engage in discussions relevant to all parents navigating their children's illnesses. I'm your host, Megan Pa, a lactation consultant and mom to a medically complex child, here to share insights and support on this nurturing journey. Hey guys, and welcome back to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles, the podcast where we talk about everything baby wearing and breastfeeding specifically tailored to our medically complex kids. I'm your host, Megan Pa, and today we're going to be talking about building a medical team. So I've got our guest host, our guest I'm really excited to talk to, uh, Rebecca Hinder. She's a pediatric nurse practitioner. Uh, she has been a NP for seven years and she's also a mom to two boys. They are five and two now, which I actually can't believe um, because we met at a lactation council when your last baby was, your two year old was a baby. Yep. So I can't believe it's been two years. Um, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I appreciate it. So, can you actually tell us how you became a nurse practitioner and what, what led you into this? This
1: field, yes. So um, ever since high school, I knew I wanted to go into the medical field and kind of zeroed in on nursing and and was interested from pediatrics from the get go. And um, I went to George Mason um, for my undergrad to go to nursing school. And coming uh, like in my senior year, I was able to uh, get a job as a medical technician in at um, a Children's in their like heart and kidney unit. Um, it's like a step down IMC um, unit, and I loved it there. And I was able to um, get hired as a as a nurse after I graduated, and I was there uh, and worked there for five years. Um, and about two years into that. Uh, decided I wanted to go back uh, to school to become a uh, pediatric MP, um, and uh, went to school in Drexel at Drexel, and then got a job in primary care pediatrics um, about seven years ago. And well,
0: um, oh, I'm so curious. Did you so you took the MP program while you were still working?
1: Yes. How was yes.
0: that? Like navigating working and
1: going back to school. I, I I did not have kids at the time, which is what what made it work. But <laughs> I, I did go part time at the end when I was doing clinicals. Um, but it was it was a busy few years. But <laughs> I, uh, I I made it. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, but good for yeah. you. I didn't know
0: that. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you went. You knew that you wanted to do pediatrics. So you did. You got your NP. And then um, tell me a little bit about um, the process after. Did you, did you know that you wanted to work? Um, so did you go straight into a pediatric office or did you, did you know you wanted to work out of hospital? Did you ever think about working in? What, how did that work for you?
1: Yes. So my, my program specifically was a pediatric primary care program. So it I, geared me towards primary mm. care. So I knew coming out of school that that's what I was looking for. Um, and so I went right into a primary care practice, um, a few months after I graduated and I've, I've been there ever since. And Ooh, it. perfect.
0: Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. For, for us people that don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, okay. What, can you tell me in your words, what is the specific role of a um, pediatric nurse practitioner? So what's your role? How is that different from a pediatric MD? Yeah. Could you just share a little bit more about that?
1: yes so it is it is very similar to the, to a role of a, of a pediatrician i think it can the role can vary depending on the culture of the practice that you're in and the setting whether it's suburban or rural or um, whatever but basically on a on a day-to-day basis um, i'm caring for kids um, from newborn to age 21, through age 21, uh, doing well visits um, and uh, kind of acute sick visits, um, and then managing certain chronic illnesses like a- asthma, eczema, ADHD, uh, things of that nature. Um, in terms of personally how how things kind of differ in my practice, uh, pediatrician versus um, pediatric NP, I would say a lot of the the pediatricians at my practice tend to take on more of the chronically ill kids, more of the medically complex kids. Although that's not a not a rule uh, across the board, and um, and they tend to do a lot more um, like mental health work as well because mm-hmm. that's such a big need. Um, but I think that's very practice-specific um, in terms of what the differences yeah. uh, truly are. It's mostly just the educational tract to get you to that office is a little bit different.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned you see, especially this time of year, right? Like a lot of asthma patients, um, you, I'm imagining you see a lot of colds, um, viral stuff like yeah. flus. What are some of the other really common things that you see in kids that make up your like day-to-day practice?
1: Uh, yes, I would say um, in terms of complaints, you've got a lot of abdominal pain, constipation, eczema, strep, obviously COVID, flu, you know, all RSV, um, those types of things, ADHD, a lot of kids with anxiety, depression. So it's a good mix of like acute care kind of self-limiting type illnesses and more of the chronic type complaints that are are an ongoing type of management. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I imagine for some of that stuff you do refer out um, when you do that. And also if you do see children that come in that have more complex issues, when you are setting up referrals, how, what does that look like for you? Do you, do you walk the parents through that? Do you set up the connections for them? Do you set up their next appointments or do you just, Provide them, like how do you do it? Do you provide them with a list of um, resources? Could you talk more about like what happens when you've got a kid that comes in that doesn't have your everyday um, common cold or asthma?
1: Yes, um I think that I think the best example would be um well we'll see uh, like newborns that uh, have been discharged from the NICU and Mm -hmm. maybe they were, you know, in addition to being premature, um, maybe they have a kidney issue and a heart issue and, you know, some other things. And so the way that I approach um, them in like an initial visit is kind of looking at at the whole patient and kind of looking system by system. So cardiac, uh, respiratory, renal, you know, all, all of those things to see, okay, what are their problems okay and and what what's the solution or the the next step for each one of those individual like medical problems so i would uh sometimes like in that in that specific example the hospital will have already set up follow-up appointments for which specialists they need to see afterwards if not then i will give them A list with, you need to schedule with cardiology. Here are the different numbers to call, depending on your insurance. You need to schedule with um, nephrology, you know, that type of thing. Here are those different numbers. Um, And sometimes we'll have parents that are having difficulty getting in um, to their appointments. And we have at our office um, an amazing triage nurse kind of contingent in our practice and they can help to actually call some of the offices and kind of get the ball rolling or even schedule appointments if the patients are having trouble um, getting through or if there's a language barrier or uh, something of that nature Um, and the other thing I think about um, with being in primary care pediatrics is like the developmental piece so a lot of kids that are Mm -hmm. medically complex will have um, be at risk for developmental delays of some sort, whether that's feeding or fine motor skills or gross motor skills. So uh, addressing for that and um, I love um, early intervention or that I think that's what they call it in Virginia. Um, And then that goes into child find, but they can be uh, an amazing help with uh, getting patients in even before some of those delays were to actually develop or manifest and um, connect patients with affordable or free therapy um for that medically complex kid which is which is great
0: yeah so what i hear you saying is that you're literally when you're seeing a patient you're looking at all their body systems you're going down through each system and whether you have like a physical checklist or a mental one you're checking off Mm -hmm. like okay have we set up and scheduled you with this person that you might need to see or this person and so in that initial visit you're covering all the bases and you you mentioned that most often that you're starting off with babies that are coming from the NICU that have these, that are needing these follow-up appointments. Now with infants, you know, I imagine like they're in the NICU, their feeding habits are pretty established, but do you add, do you have a discussion about, um, about feeding and whether or not a parent is formula feeding or breastfeeding and do they need any help with that?
1: Yes, for sure. I would say, especially in that that specific example with, uh, with newborns, feeding is the main thing I'm going to focus on in addition to kind of what's their care management long-term. Um, so yes, assessing, you know, um, is mom breastfeeding? Is she pumping? How often do they have, you know, Questions that they um, want to address the lactation consultant, you know, how's their supply, Um, what formula they on, you know, oftentimes they'll be, if they're premature, they will be on a special preemie formula. um, And then um, sometimes they'll need like a multivitamin or, or something like that as an added nutrition piece. And sometimes they need like feeding help so if they're if they're bottle fed sometimes like a a speech and language pathologist can be helpful if they're breastfed i refer so many of my patients to lactation because they can be so so helpful to patients
0: yeah and then what does follow-up look like for you and um this is actually something i've always been curious about um, the practice that like we're with is actually really good. They are always in, I mean, they're automated emails, right? Like, but they're no. always sending emails. Like, have you had your flu shot? Have all your kids had their flu shot? Your kids are mm-hmm. due for their annuals. But you know, um, something that we don't get and maybe it's out of your like purview is um, the pediatrician, Are you? do you guys ever follow up with, you know, like just randomly checking in if you know you have a kid that's like medically complex, like, or do you just kind of stay in your wheelhouse, which is um, like checking in for annuals and je- vaccines, depending on like when, how old the child is, right? And my question is like, once, once you've had that initial visit and you've referred them out, Is it now kind of like past, you've passed the baton, you know, Mm -hmm. how, how does that, what does that approach look like?
1: Yes. I would say that oftentimes kids who are medically complex, uh, one of the main issues that they have is weight gain. Um, and so oftentimes, we will see patients back, especially newborns, but even even beyond that, um, for weight checks, kind of in addition to their their regular visits. And and sometimes the regular visits, if it's a baby, they're coming in, you know, at the two-week mark and the one-month mark, you know, so we'll, we will still be seeing them fairly regularly. Um, but if it's an older kid, oftentimes, we're maybe seeing them every you know three to six months to kind of check their growth parameters. So we're not just waiting you know every year. And then we definitely have in our like electric uh, electronic medical record system, Kind of notes for other providers if they're seeing um, the child at the next visit, you know, of, okay, they need labs at this point, they need, you know, this kind of a a game plan overall for that patient, you know, and uh, refer to this specialist. We always um, keep a list of patients we've referred places and follow up via text or uh, letter saying, hey, have you gone to the specialist yet? And we try to make sure we kind of close the loop, make sure yeah. they went, get the note, and that we we are able to review it. And and definitely I'll put little put little notes to be like, okay, I need to follow up with this patient, I'm gonna call them in a week or in two weeks. Um, or sometimes just making sure that the patient follows up because I know they've got a lot going on and they're trying to juggle multiple appointments. Sometimes when I see them, if I'm like, "Okay, I want to see you back in a week or two weeks," I'll just schedule them right there and then, even before they leave leave the the room, you know, so that we have something on the calendar and they don't fall through the cracks, so to speak. Yeah.
0: I, so that to me, your response to me, that's very, um, like you're definitely on top of things. And I wonder, um, do you think that that is like provider, provider specific or practice specific? Because, um, again, I only have my own experience to go by, but Mm -hmm. there have been times where, um, like we have to go out of network and like our, our providers, like, their notes don't match. And so Mm -hmm. then it's up to me. It's up to me to fill in my pediatrician with any new information I've learned. Like they, they don't really follow up with that. And um, I'm wondering if that is, if in your opinion, that's definitely every, every practice is going to handle that differently. Every provider is going to handle that differently, even within the practice on how well they're kind of following up with Um, parents, you know, based on their, their child's care and the other, the other doctors
1: they're seeing. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that it is time consuming to Yeah. In a very, in a busy pediatric practice, you're seeing, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 patients a day. And, Mm -hmm. and so oftentimes uh, things can fall through the cracks or you can forget to kind of follow up on things, or it's hard to read, even read the specialist note that's, that is, attached to the patient's chart. Um, and sometimes it's, it's a struggle to do that and then to dig it, you know, go request the records and find it, it can be very challenging. Um, yeah. so I'm
0: I'm, that's actually really good to hear. And I'm glad that you said that because I do know, like I, I have a special position that I've kind of been on both side of sides of it, not mm-hmm. as like, you know, a pediatrician or anything, but knowing how, how busy that the medical providers can be, that you're seeing 15 to 25 patients a day, you know, and wanting to be able to follow up with everybody, but it almost at some point become, becomes impossible, right? So mm-hmm. I think the message here for people and parents listening is that you have to be an advocate for your child. You have to really take charge, be on top of their health care, be on top of the all of the providers and all the appointments that they're supposed to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, so parents really have to take an active role um, in that. And sometimes that even that even looks like connecting the dots between the providers, um, because I know I've had to do that. I've had to go, I've absolutely had to go to many nephrologist appointments and tell the pediatric nephrologist, well, that's what the pediatric urologist says. Mm-hmm. So then you two compare notes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we'll go from there. Part of that is because they're they're not in the same network. Um, but I think that that's a resp- an added responsibility for parents, like an added layer on all the things that they have to do is they've got to right. be on top of their child's health care and all the, the people on their medical team.
1: Yes. No. And it's a it's a big job. It really is. And I've seen some parents of medically complex kids have like whole binders. You know, the the ones that are really organized. You know that they'll. And not everyone can be like this. You know, with. I'm not
0: a type A parent. I don't do that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> abs, uh, with all the specialist notes, and they take it to every appointment, and they're taking notes at every appointment, you know, but not everyone not can do that. Like, it, it's really hard. It's really challenging, you know, in addition to just making it to the appointment, actually being able to synthesize all the information that they're giving you so quickly and being, yeah. being able to then repeat it when you go three months later to your pediatrician or yeah. another specialist is very challenging. Yeah, well, that's that's
0: that's pretty impressive. And binders, that's actually good to know. Yeah, that's a good tip, though. So for you, for people listening, organization with binders and like tabs, <laughs> that sounds like no. the
1: way to go. <laughs> that's the minority of patients, but when I did see it, I was like, "Wow, that's amazing! This is really good." You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. That's really oh. nice.
0: Um, you know, I I actually have. Um, I'm wondering too because you're in Northern Virginia. We are very, you know, like culturally dense. We've got a lot of, a lot of great different cultures coming in. Do you take, do the pediatricians here and the nurse practitioners, do you guys take any kind of trainings that help you, um, navigate different cultures and their preferences and wishes when it
1: comes to, uh, their child's medical care? Yes. I mean, we do have like required cultural competence training for sure, yeah. which is, is definitely helpful. I think though, just kind of learning on the job as you talk to families, just during a regular um, wellness checkup, you're learning as you, it's a very diverse area and you're learning with every family, every patient that you see kind of their, the way that they live their life and the things that they value and the holidays they celebrate and, you know, what they do in their free time and what, what their um, dietary, you know, restrictions are. And so I feel like a lot of it for me at least has been kind of learning, um, learning as I go, as I'm like actively listening to patients about, okay, what's important to you? What are are your values? You know, what things are you prioritizing? How to how does the day to day work in your family? And, and that's super important, because I've seen a lot of different families kind of approach their child's care very differently, kind of depending upon their what works for them, you know, and I think it's it's important to look to them and really listen to them um, because it's hard to know the nuances of every single yeah. culture and, you know, especially the, the added, you know, complexity of a language barrier. You know, we um, at my office, we have a great translation service, but it's it's limited in terms of you're talking to somebody on the phone as they translate to your patient and things can get misconstrued or lost in translation sometimes. You oh, know? for sure. Yeah. That is tricky, navigating
0: yeah. the language barrier. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different. It's gonna It's going to be different in the office. Like if you're in, at least in my experience, if you're in any hospital in Northern Virginia, and I can't speak for hospitals outside of Northern Virginia, but we've got that great phone system where you can like pick up the phone and you've got an interpreter in like 30 or something plus different languages mm-hmm. that can perfectly interpret for you. So great. the pediatric offices don't have that. <laughs>
1: Right, right. And, so, and we are getting it, but it's not quite as, yes, it's maybe not at the same level sometimes in terms yeah. of the access. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, what about ethical considerations? How do you handle ethical dilemmas um, like in a team setting? So I, I imagine that you're going to loop in some of the other providers in the office, but how do you go about handling that?
1: I I think with most, I, I was trying to think of a specific example, but I, I feel like with most ethical considerations, I think it's really, uh, you really have to look to the patient. You really have to listen to them or listen to the patient's family in terms of, okay, what, what are you valuing here? What are your priorities? The, the one example that I could think of was um, when I was in school, I did a cardiology rotation um, at an MP school. And um, one of the moms was coming in for a a fetal echo, so uh, she was still still pregnant, the baby um, had some sort of genetic defect that had a very significant heart defect associated with it and the baby wasn't um, forecasted to survive much long after birth. And obviously there's different treatment options that were available to that mom and the mom chose to continue to uh, carry the baby to full term, labor have the baby and then provide comfort measures for the baby and so i think that truly just listening to okay what is the parent's preference here what what's going to mean the most to them and and listening and then kind of uh advocating for them to the other members of the of the team as you as you kind of hear what their preferences are in a certain situation
0: do you ever find it hard because you, you are a mom too, to put aside like that? Um, well, I don't, how do I want to say this? Like, this is what I would do piece, you know, and just be there and listen to the, to your patient and provide them with the necessary tools that they need that will support their wishes.
1: Yes, for sure. I, I would say in, in a sense, Every patient that I care for, I try to treat them as if they were my own child in terms of trying to provide this, you know, the, the the utmost level of care. But at the same time, they're not my child, and sometimes the parent will have different preferences or will make different decisions, and there is freedom in that. I mean, there's always there's always. Certain things that there are safety issues or where I'm going to strongly advise one way or the other, but there's a lot of other issues that really there's a lot of right ways to do things, you know, and not every family uh, wants to do the same thing, you know, or the thing that I might think is the best, you know, and so exactly releasing them. To be able to be like, hey, if this works for you, this is this is perfectly safe. This is perfectly acceptable. Um, you know that's okay. And really, they have to be comfortable too with with the decision or whatever it is. You know, because you, you don't want to just coax somebody into something and then uh, it if there's a bad outcome or whatever. Like that's that's not that's not a good way to make right. Making sure that they're comfortable and even if you're comfortable with something and they're not respecting uh, their decision um, in the meantime. Yeah. I, I definitely could see that
0: it could be hard, you know, like one way or the other to, mm-hmm. to help a parent
1: navigate through that. Yeah. It's quite a balance. I feel like, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So this has been really helpful. So I, I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing the way that you approach what would happen if you can, if you had a patient that was medically complex about going, you go through every body system, you make sure that all the bases are covered and that they are seeing the providers that they need to see. And the really great thing about the office that you work for that I've heard that you told us about is that you've got somebody in there, um, and could you tell me again what what they were called? It's not like a case manager. What what did what did you the triage yes. nurse? Is that we it? Have
1: triage nurses. Yes, okay. yes, and we do have care managers as well. Um, care I, managers and triage. Helpful. What's the difference yeah. between the two? The triage nurse and the care managers. So the our triage nurses they will take phone calls for nurse advice, you know, uh, for the, for our patients in our practice, uh, however, they also help with referrals and, um, can also help with scheduling appointments. The, the care managers oftentimes will manage more of the patients with chronic illnesses, whether that's obesity or, um, substance abuse or things like that, that require, um, referrals to certain, you know, clinics in the area or recheck appointments, those sorts of things, they they will do a lot of that. Or, um, or babies, uh, it used to be before the the new RSV vaccine, there was an old RSV vaccine called Synergist, and they would coordinate that for some of the babies with heart problems and respiratory yeah. conditions and stuff.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So that's what we're going to do when we find it, when a baby, the first initial appointment, right? So they can't, you're going to go through all the body systems. You're going to Uh, make sure that all the referrals are being made. And then we have either the triage nurse or triage nurse or the case manager that's going to help that person then navigate setting up those appointments. And then as far as follow-up, if it's a medically complex baby, they're probably, and depending on the age, right? So if they're younger, they're going to be seeing a lot more because babies are going to be having two week visits and then um, one month, two month visits, and mm-hmm. they're gonna have all those checkups. But some of the medically complex babies might be seen more for weight checkups. They might be seen more for um, blood draws and labs. Um, but then I imagine, you know, especially once they get past a certain age um, and we're out of that time frame where they're being seen a lot, then the follow-up from your point of view is just, or from your position, is just going to be blood draws if they need be, right? Or their annual visits. So when does, it? what age does that happen? What age do we start to like, we've had all of our vaccines, we've done a lot of our checkups, like when do we start to kind of slow
1: down with the pediatrician? Slow down, yep, Mm -hmm. so the annual visits start at three. So at three and up, you're only seen yearly. you know, if you don't have any other you know concerns right. or whatever, and so for a for a patient who's just coming in for their annual checkup, but they're medically complex, I usually try to review their chart to see okay, what what specific diagnoses do they have, uh, what specialist notes do we have? Oftentimes, the specialist will will send us the note, um, or we can obtain it electronically. And then, off, and then reading over that to determine, okay, have they made their next appointment? They said they needed to be seen in six months. Uh, what meds are they on? You know, oftentimes they'll uh, note any restrictions that the patient has, or any vaccines that they need, or or should not get you know based on their treatment plan so it's really just kind of springboarding in addition to the regular wellness visit springboarding off of those specialist notes we we rely heavily upon those to kind of determine if if anything else is needed you know fill in the gaps of the what we would provide during just the regular well child check at five or whatever
0: And I imagine, too, when you see that person, not only are you reviewing the specialist notes, but you're asking the parent, you know, like, please, from from the last time we saw you until this time, catch us Mm -hmm. up. you know, like, what's happened, um, who have you seen, all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yep. Yep. So we ask every patient for for, um, that comes in for an annual wellness visit, you know, what specialists are you seeing? What medications are you on? Any surgeries, any hospitalizations, you know, reviewing all of that every year, just to make sure we're up to date on the patient's health plan. Yeah, no, that's,
0: that's awesome. That seems very thorough. It's very comforting to know that what your process is and that, you know, that kids are being all the boxes are being checked. Right. Mm -hmm. And then let's be real. In reality, um, you know, I know as a mom of four kids and, you know, three of them are perfectly fine and healthy. Like you're seeing your pediatrician a lot more. And it's not just because your kid's been running 102 fever for three days. It's also because um, they tripped and hit the baby gate and knocked out a tooth. And and then the other kid was at the trampoline park and broke their arm over the summer. So like, yes, you're seeing your pediatrician a lot. So there's other opportunities throughout the year to check in
1: for sure. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And not, uh, losing sight, you know, as the primary care pediatrician, if someone's coming in for a fever, not losing sight of, okay, what's their weight today? What meds are they on? You know, uh, how are they doing overall? And you know, what di- what chronic diagnoses do they have that could be involved? Exactly. Um, yes. In, oh, I'm so it, glad you
0: say that it. because, um, that's, in, that's incredibly obviously important and pertinent to when you're doing a healthy valve, because obviously, you know, like the very first thing that we get asked when I bring, you know, my youngest in, if he's been running a fever is, you know, um, any, like any change in his, his bathroom habits, obviously, because mm-hmm. he's got kidney disease, like does you know, yeah. how's his urine output, you know, like, has he been drinking a lot of fluids? Like all, all of those questions mm-hmm. they're going to absolutely, they're going to, um, you know, run tests for UTI. Like even, even if we know, and I tell them everybody in the house has had the flu this week. I am 99.9% sure he has the flu. We are still running a test to make sure he doesn't have a UTI. So I I imagine that you, you guys do stuff like that for other, for other health issues across the board.
1: Yes, for sure. Yes. And oftentimes the specialist will, uh, kind of note that stuff at the end of their specialist note, they'll say, if this patient has a fever, they need a, Mm -hmm. they need a urine analysis. If this patient has a fever, they need to go to the hospital or, you know, if, and or even get
0: extra IVs, you know, we've, we've had it where it's depending on the age of the child, which also will come into play under a year. Again, this is going to be very case specific, but under a year, if we're going in in with a fever that's been a while, like he's getting IV antibiotics while we're there. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to start off with that and then we'll get some to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as he's progressed and gotten bigger and better, you know, it's a step down from that. But I'm sure all of that stuff comes into play
1: Mm -hmm. for sure.
0: Yeah, so this has been really, really helpful. Um, I have really enjoyed talking to you and finding out the process for how you kind of set up a parent's medical team and even put people into place to help them schedule those follow up appointments. What would you say in your past seven years has been your most rewarding experience
1: working as a pediatric MP? Oh, that's a question. I think just seeing there's, you know, several patients that I've had that I've seen since they were a newborn, uh, or, or close, close to that. And then just seeing them grow and, and mature and develop and getting to know their families as I see them for different visits and coming, coming alongside them, being a cheerleader and advocate for them. I think that's, that's the most rewarding part of it, honestly
0: i love it that's so great yeah seeing them grow because when you Mm -hmm. get to see them from like newborn on that's really awesome especially when they do well yeah how do you see the role of medical teams pediatric medical teams evolving you know we are going into a really interesting future and we talked about this before um you know we jumped on here about Mm -hmm. um i mentioned a little bit about like you know artificial intelligence and like ai and and i bring that up in a medical sense and In the sense that, like, for example, getting into, like, medically complex kids, Tyson's next surgery, like, the doctor's using, like, robotics to go in and do it. And, like, it's just, it was, when she was talking to me about it, I was like, what? It's crazy. So how do you see that? Like, how do you see the medical teams changing as we go into the future?
1: Yeah, well, there's one patient that I'm managing currently who has a complex congenital heart defect uh, that requires, you know, three different surgeries, but they're monitored very closely. Kind of, they do, get one surgery done as a newborn, monitor very closely until that second surgery, and so they are being cared for through UVA Hospital, and they have like a app uh, set up basically that yeah, um, sure. the mom can put in um, the baby's weight and their heart rate and their uh, oxygen level each day, and put all of that information in and then the whole medical team, you know, has access to that and can review that. Um, and that's really important in determining, okay, are they getting enough calories? Are they, are they growing enough? Are they, um, are their vitals stable or do they need surgery sooner? Um, yeah, and so, so I cool. see more. Yeah. I mean, with, with having a smartphone and having all these apps, I can see a lot more apps that can help kind of connect the parent to the specialist or the medical provider and then connect the the medical kind of specialists together for more of that shared decision making yeah,
0: yeah that is absolutely fascinating like i just think that is the coolest thing uh, I mean, like, and more to your point, like, I've I've definitely seen people with um, monitors where it's like monitoring their, you know, their heart rhythms, and it's going directly yes. back to their cardiologist in real time.
1: Yeah. So
0: um, that is just so cool. And as a parent, if you have a child or an infant with a heart problem, like that's really reassuring, you know, that they're being monitored and in, in real time, because you know, I feel like it it takes a little bit of the stress off. So. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and for your time. It's been so fun to like catch back up with you and learn more about your practice and how you approach, you know, team care. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um we are going to be back every week. So in the next upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking to more medical providers. And I really hope that you guys can join in, that you've got something from today's conversation and um, that you, know, you guys are um, really following along every Tuesday. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Rebecca, and everybody have a great week. Thank you all for joining us on today's episode of Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles. I hope you found our discussion enlightening and that you leave feeling supported and empowered. Remember, you are not alone on this journey. Tune in next week for more insights and conversations that connect us all in the shared experience of parenting. Until then, take care and cherish every miracle with your little ones.